Please find 2 Corinthians chapter 12 in your New Testament. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. So today I want to talk about the ministry of weakness. The Apostle Paul, as you probably know, is referring to himself, although he uses, it's kind of like when we say, I know a friend that's had this experience, and we're really talking about ourselves. He's really talking about himself as he describes this experience of the third heaven and the thorn. Boasting is necessary, though it is not profitable, but I will go on to visions and revelations of the Lord. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago, whether in the body I do not know or out of the body I do not know, God knows, such a man was caught up to the third heaven. And I know how such a man, whether in the body or apart from the body I do not know, God knows, was caught up into paradise and heard inexpressible words which a man is not permitted to speak. On behalf of such a man will I boast, but on my own behalf I will not boast, except in regard to my weakness, weaknesses. For if I do wish to boast, I shall not be foolish, for I shall be speaking the truth. But I refrain from this, so that no one may credit me with more than he sees in me or hears from me. And because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, for this reason... To keep me from exalting myself, there was given me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, to keep me from exalting myself. Concerning this, I entreated the Lord three times that it might depart from me. And He has said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected, or my power is perfected, in your weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast about my weaknesses that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Therefore, I am well content with weaknesses, with insults, with distresses, with persecutions, with difficulties, for Christ's sake. For when I'm weak, then I'm strong. And you have a third heaven and a thorn in the same chapter. How real that is to the Christian life. We must never get to the place where we think that heavenly experiences exempt us from earth's difficulties. It is true that in the same chapter of your experience you can have a high spiritual exaltation and a low satanic depression. In the same chapter there can be a third heaven experience, and a thorn. Now the Apostle Paul experienced this marvelous trip to paradise. And there he saw things that no man had ever seen, and he heard things that no man had ever heard. And the first day back from paradise, there is this thorn in the flesh, and despair, and pain. Some of you can say the same thing about yourself. I mean, God is blessing your life and, and you're experiencing the blessing of God and He's been so good and you just don't, didn't know how full of joy life could be. 
And then the next thing you know, you fall on your face and there is discouragement and despair and heartache. Did you know that, that heavenly experiences are dangerous? And did you know that the people among whom God moves are in a special danger, and that danger is, lest we be exalted. Now, I find this pretty startling, that the very next experience Paul had after he got back from paradise was the thorn. But it's not inconsistent as far as God is concerned. I mean, the greatest revelation of God that Paul had was not the revelation in the third heaven. The greatest revelation of God that Paul had was in the experience of a thorn. For the greatest revelations of God that you and I will have in life will not come when we are caught up in these heavenly experiences. The greatest revelations from God will come in the ministry of the thorn. I don't know how to explain that, but I know it's true. And some of you can testify that the greatest advancements you have made in character have come through suffering. And I know that the sweetest songs come from the saddest thoughts. And I know that the greatest experiences that you and I can have in life come in the experiences of affliction and pain. J.R. Miller was right when he said, we owe so much to suffering. For some of the greatest blessings that have come down to us from the past have come through pain and sorrow. For he said, I don't understand this, but I think it's true that the greatest blessings have come through the greatest pain. Now, why did the Apostle Paul have the thorn in the flesh? Well, God was just keeping him usable. Well, sometimes heavenly experiences cause us to be proud and presumptuous, and we say to ourselves, well, I'll just coast through life on these wonderful experiences. I want you to know that until God gets you and me into a position of humility, we're not really usable. Flat on our face, on our fa with our face to the ground, there's the position of greatest usefulness. And so I want to look with us today at the ministry of weakness or the ministry of the foreign from four, as from four angles. First of all, the principle defined. What is the principle this passage enunciates? The principle is this, that God's power is perfected in your weakness. Now what God is saying is this, I'm going to use your weakness as a stage on which I will display my power. And the one condition, the one condition of the display of God's strength is not our strength and ability, but our weakness and inability. And the very thing that we use to disqualify ourselves is the very thing that God looks upon to qualify us. Let me read you a passage of Scripture. You just listen to it. For consider your calling, brethren, that there were not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to shame the things which are strong. And the base things of the world and the despised, God has chosen the things that are not, that He might nullify the things that are, that no man should boast before God. Did you notice three times He says, 
But God has chosen. But God has chosen. He means that God uses you not in spite of your weakness. He uses you because of it. And, he, and he's saying, he, he, you know, God's not just kind of trying to get by the best He can with what He's got. For God has deliberately passed right by the mighty and the gifted and the talented and, 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 and the privileged in order that He might... Name some lost person or some carnal Christian. And we'll say, oh, if old so-and-so would just give his life to the Lord, God would you know, just be so proud, so pleased, because he has so much potential and so much ability. Listen, folks, what God chooses, deliberately chooses, is not your ability and your strength. He chooses your weakness that his strength might be perfected and glorified. So that sometime we have to come to a decision in our life, I think. We, we have to make a choice. Shall I be weak so that God will be glorified? Or will I be strong and God forgotten? Brian L. Moody was preaching a crusade in England and a newsman ran a little article about Brian L. Moody. Said this of him. Said, Mr. Moody murders the king's English. He uses terrible grammar. And he speaks with a nasal tone and a high-pitched voice. And Mr. Moody is overweight and generally rough. And I find nothing in the man to account for his record. And when he read that, Moody responded like this. That's the secret. That's the secret. There is nothing in this man to account for the record. So the choice has to be made. Will I be strong and God forgotten? Or will I be weak so that God can be glorified? The principle is that God's strength is perfected in your weakness and He uses your inability as a stage on which to demonstrate His ability. Well, if that's the principle, what is the process that God uses to bring us there? Well, He says, in order that He might get me in a position where He could get glory in my life, He gave me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger from Satan to buffet me. That word thorn is a, is a word in the Greek means stake, really. The word stake comes from that word. I've got a, some bushes out in my yard. Occasionally I'll get out there and trim them. They've got long thorns, and I'll get a hold of one of them with my finger, and it pricks my finger, and that's painful. But that's not what he's talking about. He's talking about a stake. And uh, the word thorn there, the verb form of that word is crucify. This is what Paul is saying. Right after I got back from paradise, God gave me a stake and crucified me on it. Now that's a strange turn of events. That's pretty astounding. A man would have this kind of experience with God and the next thing would be that God gives him a stake and crucifies him on it. It's interesting to me that the Apostle Paul never names his thorn. Now there's been a great deal of speculation. One wag said that that I'm absolutely certain that Paul was married. That's what the thorn in the flesh means. I, I'm not going get, <clears> to <throat> get into that, but some have said that they tried to identify the thorn, and he's talking about Jewish persecution, and, and some say, well, it's a reference to a physical infirmity he had because he wrote the Galatians and said that he had this eye disease, and he said, I know that if, you were, if it were possible, you, could have, you would have plucked out your own eyes and given them to me. And some say, well, that was Paul's thorn in the flesh. It doesn't matter what the thorn was. 
And he doesn't name the thorn because he wants us to understand. It could be a thousand and one things. And, and, and what he sees in a thorn at first is that it's a handicap. And he prays for its removal. And I suppose it was the only prayer that Paul ever prayed. He didn't get yes for an answer eventually. I mean, do you ever pray like this? Lord, if you'd just remove this thorn from my life, I'd serve you better. And we make these bargains with God. Lord, if you just take away this circumstance from my life, if you just remove this from my life, I know that I could serve you better. Lord, don't you know that this is handicapping me and it stands between my, my, my service? Lord, would you remove this? He calls it a messenger from Satan. Do you mean that, that there is something that can be a messenger of Satan and a gift from God at the same time? Sure can. Because, you know, God uses Satan to accomplish His purpose. I mean, if God can use heartache and, and, and problems, if He can use distress and difficulties to accomplish His will, He can certainly use Satan, and He does. That must be terribly frustrating to Satan. I mean, the devil comes to the Apostle Paul and he says, I've got something just going to lay you low. I'm going I'm to wipe you out with this. Paul was known in hell. You knew that, didn't you? You remember in the book of Acts, those people tried to cast out the demons and the demons said, demons from hell said, Jesus we know and Paul we know, but we don't know you. I find that terribly humorous. We don't know who you are. We know Paul and we know Jesus. He was known in hell. And so Satan comes to Paul and says, I've got something that's going to wipe you out. And when he does that, God says, thank you, Satan. You played right into my hands. For the very thing that you're going to use to buffet Paul, and the word means to beat black and blue, the very thing you're going to use to buffet Paul, I'm going to turn out to be the means by which I bring Paul to a position of usefulness. That leads me to point three. Then what is the possibility of this principle? If the principle is that God's strength is perfected in your weakness and the process of making you weak is this gift of Satan's messenger, what are the possibilities of that? There are two glorious possibilities. One is that you and I can gain victory in a very difficult, a very unpleasant situation. We can gain victory in that. And so Paul says, I will boast in my distresses. If you've got a King James Bible, the word is glory. And it means I will give a shout of victory in the, in the presence of my distresses. When I get distressed, when the problem comes, I'm going to give a shout of victory, he said. A shout of triumph. Why? Because he has a new perspective on it. He sees it as something God has permitted or orchestrated so that he can eventually get glory. And that brought a, just a spontaneous cry of victory. Now listen to me carefully. If there is some distress in your life, you can, certainly, you can certainly ask God why. I mean, you can question God. Some people feel like, well, you should never question God. Jesus did. While on the cross, being crucified, He cried, My God, why have you forsaken me? So if there is distress, if there is an affliction, if there is a circumstance, you can certainly go to God about it. That's what Paul did. He said, I'm not going to take this line down. 
I mean, if this is a messenger from Satan, I'm not going to go down without a fight. I'm going to get something from God on this. And when he goes to God and, and, and inquires and questions, and the answer was not what he hoped. Listen to me. If you go to God with a circumstance and you pray for its removal, or you pray for its change, and it doesn't happen, what's the next thing you should do? Well, the next thing you should do is praise the Lord. Because if He doesn't remove it, that means that He's going to get glory from it. And there's a second possibility in this, and, that it's, and it's this, that, that God is, God's strength is made available to us. And so He says, and my strength dwells, His strength dwells in me. It's an unusual term there. It's found only here and nowhere else in the New Testament. It must be pretty important. The word means to pitch a tent over. This is what Paul is saying. When I went to the Lord with my thorn and He did not remove it, I gave Him praise. I gave a shout of victory. And in that shout of victory, as I gave that shout of victory, He sheltered me. He pitched a tent over me with His power. And the condition of the pitching of His tent of power over you is to give a shout of victory in your distress. You say, well, I've had some affliction and I've had some circumstance that's been difficult for me to bear and I've not experienced God's power. Maybe it's because you didn't give a shout of victory. Maybe it's because you complained and you got bitter and you griped about it. Look at this. He said, if a person comes to the place where he's willing to say, all right, if God's power will be perfected, then I'll give a shout of victory in my distress. And when I give a shout of victory out of that attitude and that perspective, then God pitches His tent of strength over me. There's the principle and the process and the possibility. Notice the provision. The provision is God's grace sufficient. God's grace sufficient. Now, what do you think of when you hear the word grace? Most of us think of that um, unmerited favor that's given to us, directed to us when we come to be saved in the initial experience of salvation. If that's all you understand about grace, then you have a very narrow and limited concept of the biblical term it's grace for everything in life. Strength for everything in life. It's what we don't deserve, but we need. So that we need, we, we, we get His grace. We receive His grace for dying, and we receive His grace for living. I need grace to forgive, and God gives grace for forgiveness. And I need grace to love the unlovely, and God gives grace to love the unlovely. I, I need grace for every day, everyday grace. That's what He's talking about. There's an oft-told story about a man who bought a Rolls-Royce automobile. He's pretty curious and mechanically minded. He wanted to know how many horsepower the Rolls-Royce had, and it is a policy. Uh, I've never owned one, but it is a policy that, that they don't give the horsepower of a Rolls-Royce automobile. This guy wanted to know how many horses it had. So he went to the dealer and Ask, how many horsepower is this car I just bought? The guy said, well, we don't really know. He said, you mean I paid $100,000 for a car? You don't even know how many horses it's got? He said, well, really, there's a policy. 
that, that we don't give out. They don't give us the number of horsepower in a Rolls Royce. He said, well, if you don't want your car back, and you don't want to give me back my money, I want to know how many horses I've just bought and how many horsepower. Well, they got busy, pretty good sale there. They got busy and they telexed the factory in London to get an answer. How many horses, how much horsepower does a Rolls Royce have? And they got this telex back, handed it to the guy. He opened it up. One word. How many horsepower does a Rolls Royce have? Adequate. Now, wouldn't you like to know that you are adequate for life? I mean, I don't care, really, if, if somebody um, can look at me and say, well, he's kind of a super, you know, super... I, that, that's not... But I would like to know that I'm adequate for anything that comes, wouldn't you? I mean, when your spouse dies, wouldn't you like to know that you're adequate for that? I mean, when you get that report back that you may have an illness that will never get better, wouldn't you like to know that when that happens, you're adequate? Or when that teenager becomes rebellious and breaks your heart, wouldn't you like to know that if that comes, God forbid that it would, but if that time comes, that you're adequate to deal with that? And so God comes to Paul and says, I'm not going to remove the thorn, but I am going to make you adequate. On, G on uh, December the 6th, an 18-year-old boy said goodbye to his parents and went away to war. He was 18 years old. Can you imagine that? Never been away from home except for about six months while he was in college. And he went away to war, and because the war was escalating, and, 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 the, and the Japanese had bombed Pearl Harbor, they escalated the war, and they didn't even really give him adequate training, and sent him to the front lines. And by June the 6th, six months later, he was dead at the age of 19. Missing in action for several, without some word, for several months, finally his parents received notice that he was dead. His mother is just a little old farmer's wife, lived way out in the country, high school education, not really a spectacular person, kind of um, shy and introverted. Of course, the news of that... Um, devastated her and her husband, the father and the mother of that boy. And so she began to look for some kind of help that would make her, that would enable her to endure the pain of that. And she found a song. It became the song that she sang until she died. When sin-stricken burden and weary from bondage I long to be free. There came to my heart a sweet message. His grace, my grace is sufficient for thee. When life here on earth is over, when Jesus my Savior I see, I know as I dwell in His presence, His grace is sufficient for me. His grace is sufficient for me 
His grace is sufficient for me in shady green pastures or on the rough sea. His grace is sufficient for me. I know that's a true story because that woman was my mother. Now here's the process. God allows a messenger from Satan. And on that stake is the crucifixion of the self-life in order that in our weakness, in order that in our weakness, God has a stage on which He displays to a hurting world that He is enough. Let's pray together. Father, help us to forget today about the excuse of our weakness, our inability. And bring that weakness and that inability to Thee so that You can be glorified. I pray this morning that in every heart there might be the burning, burning desire that my life and all that's in my life might be a means by which God can be glorified. Lord, help us to get to that place where we're willing to say, Lord, I'll be weak. I am weak. Be strong in me. For I ask in Jesus' name. In the early service this morning, a young man, one of our coaches at Southeastern came forward Early service, we don't have a whole lot of response, just to be honest with you. But this morning was kind of special. This young man, the father of two children, came and said to me this. He said, Gerald, I don't really um, believe that, that my life is, is bringing glory to God. And I want to bring this morning my inabilities, my weakness to Him, because I want Him to be glorified in me. Is there anyone here this morning who would like to come to say, I just come this morning just as I am. Present my life to God. I want Him to display to the world His power through me. Maybe you need to come for the first time to be saved. Oh, how our heart yearns to see people come to Christ to be saved. Say, so here's my life, Lord. I want you to be glorified in it. While we stand to sing, would you come?